Hey guys, it's Liana. I'm an entrepreneur, founder of TTYL, a human connection advocate, an event host, a writer, a coach, and most importantly, a human that's just trying to figure it out. Welcome to Ghosts of Dates Past, a podcast about first date horror stories to break down dating stigmas in our society. Each week, I'll invite a new guest onto the show to discuss their real life first date horror story, as well as their best first date. Because let's be honest, We don't focus on the positives enough when it comes to dating. In all seriousness, I started this podcast after realizing most people avoid having difficult conversations, choosing to hide behind their technology, or put into my words, ghost. I'll be exploring the current dating etiquette from dating apps to situationships and everything in between. Let's dive in to today's episode. Hi everyone, welcome back to Ghost of Dates Past. I'm here today with Taylor Summers. I love your last name. <laughs> Taylor is an event planner and she runs this really awesome Instagram account called Too Chronic to Care, like the number two, because she has diabetes and herpes. And we met on a meetup and then, well, I went down to DC where she lives and we met in person over Valentine's Day weekend, which was super special and fun. And we just had a little Valentine's Day gal celebration with s'mores and lots of drinks. But yeah. Hello. No, thanks for having me. I'm so excited. And it's fun to have another like live chat after we caught up so much Galentine. So I'm excited to talk about all things type 1 diabetes and and herpes. So thanks for having me on. Yeah, I'm so excited. Yeah, I guess we haven't really seen each other face to face since then because we voice memo each other a lot or voice message, whatever you call it. Yeah, yeah. all the time. Yeah, I got you you hooked on that now, which is so fun. All right, cool. Well, yeah, is there anything else that you want to mention about yourself before we dive in? I don't, not off the top of my head. Yeah, event planning has been a little difficult with COVID, but with all the downtime, that's when I started the page. So I felt super connected to a bunch of people talking about some deep stuff and really grateful that it brought you into my life just through the whole virtual space. So it's funny, it all comes full circle and now I'm here, so. It really does. It really does. Yeah, it's kind of crazy how I feel like COVID slash doing this podcast and I feel the same way you know I was in the event space and now switching to this new medium and being able to connect with people virtually it's been really cool to see all the different people that have come into my life so yeah it's been super fun so let's dive right in let's dive into the first date horror story give it to me (laughs) I I remember we were like voice memoing back and forth I'm like oh gosh how do I pick but I did land on one I feel like pulls a lot of different topics, so it'll be fun to kind of chat through with you. But flashback to pre-COVID times in the summer when you could all be with a group, and I was at my friend's place. She was doing a fun little flip cup tournament, and I was chatting with a guy in my little flip cup team, and we were like hitting it off, and things were going well, and Later on that night, he was outside and I like checked in on him and he starts talking about, he's in the military, so little side note, but he started talking about how he had lost a friend, went into a lot of detail, was getting really emotional and my like psych major background, I love listening to people, I love analyzing situations and giving advice and being a listening ear, so I was sucked in. So we listened, we walked around, we found some like abandoned church and it was kind of romantic. And I was like, wow, what a fun progression of the night. So then of course he came back to my place and we're chatting and things led to another yada yada. And then woke up and he's like, oh, let me make you breakfast. And I'm like, wow, this guy, this is so great. And then He was very particular about how he made bacon and eggs. And I'm like, all right, I don't think I'd ever make my eggs using like leftover bacon grease. That's just not for me. So I was like, all right, I'm whatever. It's the thought that counts, you know? And then during this time, my friend who hosted the flip cup party, she texted me and she was like, did you go back with that guy? And I was like, yes, is that okay? And then she didn't text me back yet. So I was saying goodbye to the guy. He left. I was like, oh, what a fun random time, whatever. And then my friend Meg texted me and said, 
he was already hooking up and dating my friend who was at the party and he came with her to the party, but he left with you. And I was like, oh my gosh, like I felt horrible. I had no idea. And I was like, this tool, I'm not happy about how that all transpired. And so then of course I look over and he left all of his dog tags on my desk. And I was like, oh gosh, he needs those, I guess, I don't know. So I messaged him being like, okay, maybe that's like his way of getting a second date or something, you know? And then he's like, oh, actually, can you just ship them back to me at base? Uh, and I was like, oh geez, what a disaster. And so find out he's kind of cheated on this friend of a mutual friend of my friend. And the whole reason why he was at the party was with, for that other girl. And so anyway, I shipped him back. The dog tags, never really spoke to him again, but I spoke to the friend that he was with at the party, and she said that he used that kind of same talking about his friend who had passed away to her and roped her in with that story, and I was like, wow, wow. So lots of stuff, but that was that's one that I thought back to. I was like, this is crazy. Like, of course it transpired that way, but... Yeah, he's an interesting one to unpack. I feel like there's a lot there, the story in itself and the fact that he's used that as a as a way to drag you in and has used that for other women as if knowing that, oh, you see a man getting all emotional and you'll want to just hug him and make him feel better and blah, blah, blah. Like, it's so, it's just... It's really messed up. <laughs> no, it's great. And like, as yeah, as soon as he was getting emotional and actually cried, and I know we, we were talking about this with voice notes, but how you just don't really see guys get emotional about stuff. He's probably, I look back and he's probably one of the only people, only guys I've ever seen cry in front of me. And that was almost like a, wow, he's really opening up. He really cares and he wants me to know this. And yeah, it roped me right in because I was like, I'll be here for you. I'll listen. But yeah, that was like his MO, apparently, how he picks up girls. <laughs> I'm like, you're using your... I mean, it's terrible that his friend... That was true that his friend had passed away. But I'm like, I don't like how you're then kind of using it to your advantage in a kind of tool way. So yeah, I agree. And we, yeah, we were talking about that, how it's such a stereotype for men to feel to be emotional and then whereas for women it, when we're emotional we're then told that we're super we're pmsing or you know we're oh which you're just being emotional you're being an emotional woman an emotional female it's just as if oh sorry that i have emotions and i'm sharing them but then the opposite if we're super strong and confident and badass like we are, like everyone is, or everyone can be, then we're seen as aggressive and more male dominant. But I think the reality is we all have somewhat of a balance within us. And it's just a matter of being who you are and not caring what society thinks of you and not putting yourself in labeling yourself into boxes. Yeah, it was, I was, that was the only thing that I was like, wow, I'd, I would really love to see more emotion from guys. Cause for me in dating, I feel that when someone opens up to me a lot I feel a lot closer I mean the same goes for any any friendship too like I when we would voice note back and forth before we even met each other I was like I feel like I've known this girl for my whole life and then when we met in real life I was like yep confirmed it's like we've literally known each other from the get-go but just sharing stories and connecting on deeper levels about important topics really makes you feel closer to someone so I think that's how I get roped in in anything like that's just how I I open up and when it's reciprocated it means the most but I was like man this guy took advantage of how like I'm such a good listener and I like to give advice and I don't know be affectionate so I was like oh, he figured it out but makes me a little cautious moving forward but I do like when when guys show a little bit of emotion I think that's they should be able to do that more, you know, so. Mm -hmm. Total, yeah, total learning lesson. And yeah, I, I mean, I feel the same way about you as well. I feel like we've known each other forever. And that's the cool thing about the voice memo feature, but also about having this podcast in general is that we dive right in. There's no beating around the bush. I'm literally just tell me a, a crazy story about you. And then it just opens up 
this very fun and honest and truthful conversation, which I love. So kind of going into that, I would love to hear or you to tell everyone I know a little bit about your account, but tell me what led you to starting your account to Chronic to Care. Yeah, so kind of touched on it, a little bit of downtime because we're all virtual and I live alone. I'm in my little studio apartment and just was craving social interaction. And I thought back to like, okay, I have type 1 diabetes. I kind of hit it for a while. Like I didn't want to talk about my sites and I don't know why I put it on the back burner because I've now through this account met so many great people where I've like learned tips and tricks and figured out there's still insulin left over in a cannula of my pump and I can like save some money and all these things I never would have known if it weren't for connecting people through this space. But I realized I could talk about type one in my normal life and no one would bat an eye. They might ask questions, but they're not shaming me. They might not understand the different types of diabetes and Most of the time people are like, oh, but you're not overweight. How are you diabetic? And I have to explain like why I'm type one, my pancreas, my immune system fought off the insulin producing cells and I can't make insulin anymore. Like I have to give some explanation, but people ask questions they want to know about type one. And then when I think about my herpes diagnosis, I have come to grapple with it, accept it, learning there's this whole other side of sexual education that a lot of people don't know about. And I just learned that herpes isn't included in the STI full panel. And I'm like, wow, I had no idea. And so I kind of had a moment where I was like, I want to educate with my little cocktail of chronic conditions in a space that, okay, people might follow me because they have diabetes, but now they're going to learn about herpes while they're following me and like vice versa. Okay, you have herpes, but you don't know anything about type one. Well, you're in the right place. So that was kind of my, my mission just to share my side, show the backside of my type one diabetes. And like a lot of my friends didn't even know like how I put my needle and sight in me and like, what is my tubing? Where does it go? And so it's, it's been fun to show the backside while at the same time giving them that sexual health education that I honestly wish I had more of before I ended up getting herpes. But so it's been fun just to have a space to, to talk about it and yeah, just educate where I can. I feel like more people should just know about both because people very well might end up getting both at one point. So at least they have me to like humanize it. So it's a little bit of why I'm here and meeting great people and being able to connect and voice note during the pandemic. It's definitely helped keep me sane. Yeah, I love it so much. I think what you're doing is so beautiful. And I always love your page and your posts because they are so informative and they are so educational and you're coming at it from a very real, authentic and raw place. And that's very apparent in how you use your voice on this platform. And I, yeah, for me, I didn't know much about either. So it's been very informative for me. I've since researched a lot, specifically just because I'm in this more dating space, a lot about STIs and STDs and disclosing and all of that stuff. And yeah, learned a lot about herpes that I didn't know before. I think that was a huge eye-opener for me is learning that it's not in the full panel, that a lot of most people in the world have it, just really normalizing that conversation because it is still such a taboo topic and there's so many herpes jokes out there. But on the flip side, my, my grandpa had diabetes as well and he had it from eating too much and you know he kind of brought it on himself. But I never really knew much about it. I just saw him having to prick his finger all the time and do all this testing and stuff like that, but didn't really know much of the actual ins and outs of what having diabetes was like. Yeah, and it's crazy too from starting the account. There's seven types of diabetes, and I had no idea. I have type 1, which is an autoimmune. I kind of explained it, but we're like, my body just for some reason destroyed all of its insulin producing cells. So like I can't make insulin anymore. And then type two, which type two makes up about 90 to 95% of all diabetes. So 
the other six types are lumped into that five to ten percent which is crazy so when people hear diabetes they i think that's why they all lump it in to type 2 and most people who have type 2 tend to be overweight but when you look into the back end a lot of it comes down to genetics which is crazy because just for whatever reason you're building up the insulin resistance with type 2 and you just can't get access to as much insulin as you need. But there's kind of a stigma, which I'm sure I'll start to parallel it to herpes as we're talking, but there's so much shame when people hear, oh, you're diabetic, you can't have that, or you ate too much sugar and that's why you have it. Or people have come to me being like, oh, if you just ate better, you cure it. Or try this cinnamon stick and you'll cure your diabetes. And I'm like, oh wow, people are so uneducated. <laughs> so, and it's similar to like, I've learned being in the herpes space and I go to all these groups and stuff, but people feel such an internal shame. People think I was promiscuous and I got it and I deserve it. And I always parallel that to diabetes. And then, I mean, the reason why I have herpes is my basically boyfriend at the time was cheating on me and gave it to me. So it's like, let's educate. And then there's so many assumptions and stigma placed on both. But when people break it down and they realize kind of how you got it and are a little nicer, it, it kind of opens up more perspectives. But yeah, just from being in this space, I was like, one of my best, one of my best little diabetes is type 3c so she doesn't even have a pancreas and i didn't even know that was a type so i'm learning too basically what i'm saying on my end like i thought i knew everything about my type 1 and i didn't even know there was other types of diabetes so just crazy it's like a little pandora's box the more i'm in this space i'm like wow i have, I have so much to learn so I'm glad you're feeling educated. It's not, definitely not the end because I'm, wow, there's so much more info out there I had no idea about either, so. Yeah, I didn't <laughs> even know there were seven types I'm of not, diabetes. Yeah. What? That's crazy. And to keep paralleling it, but the herpes family, just gonna really ring this one in, but cold sores are herpes. So if anyone's listening, you're like, I have this thing on my mouth. Sometimes it can be on other parts of your body too, but you should not, you need to get that checked out and not disclose, you know? So cold sores are herpes, just gonna say it again. And then chicken pox and shingles are actually within the herpes family too. So it's just more I'm, I'm realizing there's more within each of the little diabetes and herpes family. I'm like, wow, people have no idea it's all connected and just like some are stigmatized over others, even though they're all related. So yeah, the more you know. Yeah, the more you know, the more educated you are. I think the stronger you are, the more knowledgeable and the less stigmatized we can make our society if we educate each other on our bodies. It's really just our bodies at the end of the day. It's just weird things, weird infections, weird stuff that happens to our pancreas or, you know, oh, your appendicitis burst? Like, what if that was a stigma? I mean, it's literally just a body part at the end of the day. And yeah, I think on the on the herpes conversation, I have also learned that about the cold sores as well as having chicken pox and shingles. So if that's the case, do you know the number, what percentage of the population has actually has this virus in their system to begin with? All I know is in, this is one of, I have a bunch of random facts I love to just like spew off, but one of my favorites is that 80% of the whole world has herpes or form of it. And that was a stat in 2018. So let's just try and imagine what that is now in 2021 you know it's like and and most most people who are walking around with it don't even know also they could be asymptomatic which honestly parallels a lot to covid which just tie that in there too but people have to disclose if they've been exposed to it they need to get tested they might not be showing symptoms and spreading it around to people. So some of the language has been the same with COVID, but I'm not, 
I hope that kind of changes navigating having herpes with testing and being more open about it, but we'll see as we continue to cross that bridge. But another one is like one in six people have genital herpes, which is HSV2, which I have, which sometimes gets more of like, oh, you have the bad kind because it's on your genitals, just location. And that scares people, even though HSV1 or oral herpes, usually on your mouth, is deemed to be less scary. But most people actually get HSV1 on their genitals because people don't realize that when they have it on their mouth, that if they go down there, they can then spread it if it's an open sore or they're asymptomatic. So that's how most people get it. HSV1, the deemed better kind, they can still get it genitally. So so yeah, side note. And then my final one is one in two people have an STI. So I always, like, if I'm always feeling weird, wow, I feel so alone. And like, I have a lot of connections in the virtual space, you know, and I don't feel so alone in that regard. But if I'm like walking around or in a grocery store, like the few times I actually go out and about, I'm like, okay, statistically, I am not alone in this place, you know, like one in two people have an STI, one in six have genital herpes. The 80% of the world one gets me though, definitely makes it, it's like people are freaking out, but it's so common and it's actually so normal to have one, so. That's wild, that's an, those are some incredible facts and I know So I know as well, I wanted to ask you two other things before we moved on. So the first there, there, I know there's this shedding versus an outbreak. So if you can break that down and how to be safe and cognizant of that when you're with someone and then also how you get tested and how you find out that you have it. Yeah. So shedding and rhodrome are these concepts that I started to learn existed when I came into the two chronic to care insta space. I had no idea that was a thing. So basically prodrome is where you get almost warning signs that you're about to have an outbreak, which outbreaks or like I always shorten it to OB, but that's when you're kind of getting a little flare up and you're noticing things aren't right. And that's normally when you'd start taking some antivirals, but the shedding is happens throughout, like generally around an outbreak and you're kind of more susceptible to spread it because the virus is more active quote unquote at that point so normally when that happens which when you're first diagnosed they say you'll have the worst outbreak then which for me with type 1 I had like four really bad ones and I think it's because I'm immunocompromised and just my body was all confused of why, like, what's this other virus in our system wrecking havoc? But so my first couple ones were pretty bad, but I was on antivirals, which I'll take for a year. I took a pill every day. And then when I had an outbreak, I would take, I think like a thousand milligrams or something every day. And then I had this gel in case this helps anyone listening, but I had this numbing gel because I would get tears. And so that would help. And then in a couple days, it would be gone. And if I was being intimate with anybody around that time, I usually just wait a good couple of days just to be sure. But granted, when I was first diagnosed, I was still with my ex at the time. So he had given it to me and I didn't have to. I had told him, I disclosed to him that he had given it to me. And so we weren't, I wasn't really worried about like giving it to him. But moving forward, I've tried to disclose now so in COVID, it's more like virtual. But anyway, so yeah, my my tips are outbreaks, getting antivirals. You really have to like figure out your body, do a little... I Sometimes I like journal and I have a friend, Sarah, her account Positively Positive Podcast, but she has this whole PDF where you can like jot down like, what did you eat that day? Like, how was your sleep? Because some of those things can be triggers. Friction. So... After diagnosis, you really figure out like what tips your body off. So that's helpful. And then for testing, so it's not included in the full panel, which is so mind-blowing to me because I think about it. I'm like, okay, wow, people are going in being like, test me for everything, but they don't know it's not in there. A herpes test isn't included. So people are probably walking around being like, wow, I'm in the clear. I don't have herpes at all. And like, everything's fine. 
but they very well could have it because they just haven't tested for it. So yeah, even the, the actual testing can be kind of tricky because I found out because I had an active outbreak and they were able to swab it and then found out. So that was a clear indicator because I had symptoms that appeared very shortly after I was exposed to it. But then there's tests that are the IgG, I want to say, but they, and there's another one's IgM, I believe, but you can get those through a blood test, but it tells you you either have it, it's dormant, so you've had it for a while, or it's more recent. So there's that, and I think maybe one or both test for this, but another one can tell you location, I believe, but they don't really tell you specifically where it is in one, but then the other you can tell, like, was it a more recent exposure or have you actually had it for a while and were asymptomatic and had no idea. So the, the way you can tell you have it the most accurate is if you were having an active outbreak and you get a swab. People are like, well, I don't want to get to that situation. I want to like get the test prior, but even the testing isn't 100% and it doesn't tell you everything you need to know. But I think people should still just get the test because even if you're dormant and you've had it for a while, at least now you know you have it and you can disclose. The more people that know and like disclose to it, then I don't know, it won't be so, it'll be more normalized, you know? So people already think they're getting tested for it at this point. So like, why not? But that's a whole other thing. The CDC makes it so difficult. I don't know why they're like making it feel so weird. It almost makes the stigma more of a thing. Yeah. Yeah. I did hear or did read up that a lot of people, a lot of doctors won't even give it to patients because they're afraid of their reaction mentally, which is so messed up. I just feel like I would rather know. And I feel like, yeah, exactly. The more people that knew, the more people that were aware of how many people have it, the less of a stigma it it can become. And even kids, a lot of kids get it from their parents kissing them on the mouth. Oh my gosh, I know. Yeah, so it's not all sexual. That's why I feel like people get all freaked out. Kids growing up, most kids have cold sores when they're growing up, honestly. And then they get to be adults and they they might not even put together that it's herpes. Like so many people that I talk to are like, oh yeah, I get cold sores. And I'm like, so you have herpes. And they just they, they're in this denial state. They're like, no, but I, I got it when I was a kid and I, it wasn't because I was sexual or anything. I was like, it's okay, but you still should tell people because that's how you can still spread it and you could get it eventually genitally if it's on your mouth. So it's so crazy. Yeah, the whole side with doctors too. I'm going on a big tangent. I always have a lot of thoughts on this. I know. I'm like, the, we're, there's a lot of information, but let's get into some of the dating, the dating stuff in terms of, so when do you start disclosing to potential partners? Yeah, well, I'm going to be honest. I went through a phase where I was not disclosing. And I think that's important to talk about because at that point, I wasn't educated like I am through this account. I wasn't empowered. I didn't realize... I could then put some control on and like emphasis on my pleasure through all of this. Like I was in a weird place right after my diagnosis and dealing with a cheating ex and having to then have this chronic STI for my whole life. So I was used to type one where it's not curable. And so I was used to having something for my whole life, but herpes just felt so different at first because there's such a weird stigma with dating. I was like, okay, I'm handling my outbreaks. I'm taking the antivirals. I'm just going to keep an eye out while I was dating. And I was with a couple fellas and I did not disclose. And I have great regret thinking back to that. But I I wanted to share that because I feel that people think they they should be disclosing right away, which I wish I had the power to do that. And I wish that I had the resources that I do now. There's a great Ray Kennedy. She has positive results, this Instagram, and she has this amazing guide, this huge guide, this mini one, and a postcard size. And that I cannot wait to use that in real life with partners moving forward because it has everything you could ever imagine that you need sources, stats, resources all in one for disclosure. But I didn't know any of that was out there as I was dealing with the initial like diagnosis, but I ended up going to therapy. So I'm glad you kind of touched on the mental health side of the diagnosis and the stigma. Then I became more comfortable talking about it. My therapist used to work in a 
sexual health clinic, gave me a little bit more of the backgrounds. And then I, and then of course COVID hit and I was like, oh, okay, well, I guess I'll just online date. So I've been practicing quote unquote, but more so educating with disclosure now. And yeah, building up my confidence. Most people like I'm sharing on Hinge, I talk about one of my prompts is like, so something I just learned is that herpes isn't included on your full STI panel. And I have so many convos where people are like, wait, what? What are you trying to tell me? How do I get the right test? And like, I think I'm maybe the first person that's telling them this info. So it's been a progression of confidence, being empowered, educating myself. And I can't wait to like full on disclose in real life, but wanted to be very honest because I feel like it's a it's just hard, the rejection side. But when you realize that so many people are still so uneducated about it, I'm like, all right, I think you can twist this into a positive bonding moment with your partner and actually like talk about sexual health because it's a two way street, you know, like. I'm not the only one. Yeah, I already have an STI, but I could more easily get one at this point. And like, I should know someone else's sexual health and their recent testing results. But pre-herpes, I never, I never asked that. I just never really put my sexual health in a, in a forefront position. So I don't know, I'm going to say it, but I'm kind of grateful I have herpes. (laughs) It's just showed me a different, different side of what you should be asking for yourself, putting your pleasure first, and just it kind of weeds out some people who are uneducated and not willing to grow. So that's been, that's a long, long answer to that, but just like how I've dated with it and how far I've (laughs) come. It's been rocky, but I think this Instagram space has really helped me grow. I think people should start to slowly follow these sexual health accounts because you learn so much. And I I wish I knew more of this pre-herpes, but I'm kind of playing catch up now that I have it. So yeah. <laughs> yeah. I think that's so beautiful. And thank you for your bravery and your honesty in sharing the, the truth of where you are, where you were. I think that's very admirable for you to come on this podcast and be honest with the world and just say, hey, I maybe didn't do the right thing all the time, but the truth of the matter is our society is super messed up when it comes to STIs and STDs with super stigmatized. You know, our sex education is nowhere near where it should be. And the fact of the matter is every time you have sex, something could happen. We never think about asking our partners, especially when you're going for a hookup or just a one night stand or you know, you're with all these people in college and you're probably Eskimo sisters or brothers with a ton of people and you have no idea all your sexual history. You're just in the heat of the moment, having a good time, thinking you're invincible and it's not always true. So I think it's great that you're bringing that honesty here and and everywhere on your page and such. So I'd love to dive in to your best first date and then we can get I know you touched on some of the things that I want to ask as well so we can get more into like a deeper conversation well I kind of did a little rendition I feel like you're like what's your best date and I I'm kind of making it more of a little best or worst little hookup because I I can't even think of I feel like all my past dates I never really had anything fun I just would be like let's meet for a drink and that was it and I never I never was like, let's go kayak or how about you? We do a nice dinner. So the the little hookup ones are more interesting. But anyway, side note, my best one was pulled in my type 1 diabetes because like I was saying earlier, I didn't really share it all that often. And then now that I have this CGM, which is a continuous glucose monitor, it's more visible. Like I usually have it on my arm so people see it and I'm more open about it. But So yeah, I've started to kind of share that more with coworkers and like especially guys and I'm like, wow, I shouldn't feel shameful about something, you know? So I've been more open about it, but this one was kind of fun because he actually cared and wanted to help me and like take care of me. And it's kind of nice when you're used to doing, juggling a chronic condition 24 seven alone. It's nice when you get someone to help you. So long story short, so 
Last March, pre-COVID, I was finishing up leading this conference with all these different event components. So we went out with a group of my coworkers, and there was this guy that I was like, I don't know, I think he's really cute, but like work and all, I don't know. I don't know if anyone from my HR department will listen to this, but it's fine. So we like sat across from each other at dinner. We were kind of chatting. I was like, oh, he's nice, but whatever. And then we went to a bar where there's all these games and we played Connect Four together and it was very cute and like innocent. I felt like little kids. And then we went to this little piano bar and he always sat next to me, was always talking to me. And then we went to a club and we're having fun, whatever. And I lost him. I'm like, oh, okay, it's fine. I'll just, I'll grab a drink and meet up with the rest of our like coworker group. And so then he finds me at the bar. He pulls me against this column and starts to make out with me. And I was like, oh my gosh. And it was hidden from the rest of our, our team. So it was very sneaky and it was, it was very cute. And then a couple minutes later, my pump is, my insulin pumps beeping at me like crazy. And I'm like, oh gosh, what is it? And I had run out of insulin. I didn't have any insulin and I'm in the middle of this dark club and I'm not really sure where we are in location in the city and I'm like, wow, I have to leave. It was just when like things were getting good with my coworker and so I'm like, I have to go. I've got to go now. Like my number is getting high and I'm not feeling great. When my number goes high, I get these weird pains in my neck and my mouth gets really chalky and I'm really thirsty and feel nauseous sometimes. Super fun. So I was leaving. I felt like it was a Cinderella moment. I was just like leaving for the night and he ran after me. He's like, no, 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 I'm coming with you. That's silly. I want to make sure you're okay. Like, I don't even know what insulin running out of insulin means, but that scares me. I'm coming with you. So gets me an Uber. We go back to our hotel and he's seen me fiddle with a needle and my insulin vial and my cartridge and like sticking a new needle in my stomach and just doing all of this while I'm obviously a little intoxicated. And he's like staring at me in amazement. And he's like, wow, you do that all the time? And I was like, yeah, I do. And he's like, that is so impressive. He's like, I had no idea. So it was a cool, cool moment. We ended up going back to our own rooms and then we fell asleep. We were supposed to meet back up and then we fell asleep. And I texted him through his, found his number through our email signature. So like kind of desperate times, but nothing came of it because then COVID and we weren't traveling. But I think back to that. I'm like, wow, he really cared about my chronic condition and like looked out for me instead of me like dealing with it all alone. So yeah, so that was probably my best. I mean, not not too much actually happened, but it was just like a lovely fella interaction where I felt really supported. I love that so much. I think it's such a good experience when we do have those experiences, you know, whether it be then with your diabetes or with your herpes moving forward, or even if you don't have any of these chronic illnesses, it is just nice when you meet a nice, decent human who actually cares for you. What if you were sick and they brought you chicken noodle soup? I mean, I would be really happy about that. It's just, it's the little things. It's just, are you okay? I want to take care of you. I want to make sure that you have everything you need. Those little gestures go a really long way. And I think, yeah, no, that's wonderful. I love that story so much. It's so cute. No, it was so fun. I always wonder what could have been, but it's okay. I'll just ponder. We'll see what happens post pandemic. But I've, I feel I never was that open. And I mean, I, I feel like I didn't have that many people that I knew would be around for a while that I was open about it. But the only other guy that I was open about it with. I'll just do a little random story, but he was a pretty big stoner actually. So he had all these munchy snacks everywhere, which for a diabetic, when you are low, I'll just quick explain this. When I'm high, I need insulin and that's when I get really thirsty. I get the pains in my neck. I feel nauseous and sick. And then when I'm low, I need food and I get really shaky and feel faint, really dizzy. I don't make a lot of sense, but yeah. So he had the munchies, all these food. And whenever I was low there, cause I opened up to him, I was like, look, when I'm low, I could pass out and you're gonna have to help me get food. And so I had a couple lows when I was with him and he would feed me chocolate in bed. And that was always fun. And I always had food there. And he accidentally tore off one of my sights and he was so panicked that he hurt me. And I just brushed off the blood and I was like, it's okay, I'll be fine. And so I think it shows shows strength too and I'm realizing I don't have to 
hide it or be scared to let someone else in. It's okay that I'm not, it's okay that I let other people help me. And just me going through it on the daily, it's kind of fun to show people that side of me and let others in. Yeah, and show my strength. So just adding that on. I've been more open with dating, but because that's important as I move forward. Sexual health, mental health, being okay with a chronic condition. We all have our shit, you know, but I want my eventual future person to accept all of that and vice versa. Yeah, 100%. I'm in the same space as you where I've been taking time for me. And I mean, I know we've talked about this before and obviously this is the point of self-shit, whatever. This is the point of the podcast, but I think... Moving forward, I am so much more, I don't want to play those games anymore. You know, I just want to lay it out all out on the table and ask for what I want. And if that person isn't going to give it to me, I have to accept that and walk away and set up those boundaries. And I think, yeah, it's just a point of, I want that person to accept me for all that I am and not see me for one thing. Yeah, I'm in therapy. Yeah, I have dealt with this and this and this. Everyone comes with baggage, right? And I think meeting that, everyone is going to meet their person who just accepts them for who they are and all that they are because nobody's quote unquote perfect. We're all imperfect humans, but human means authentic. And that's just, we just want another human to accept us for our, our authentic selves at the end of the day. But yeah, I love that you talked, you touched a little bit on this, how herpes, you're, you're actually glad that you ended up getting herpes. So can you delve more into how having herpes has kind of helped you navigate the dating world and has it made, made it easier to date, more difficult, in what ways, pros and cons? Well, I'm going off of, like I said, I wasn't very, I didn't disclose, have great regret about that for a couple people after my ex and I broke up. And then now in the dating world, for online dating, that's what I've been doing in COVID. I haven't gone on any in-person dates. Just got the first vaccine today though, so woohoo. <laughs> but it's been interesting because I feel like I've put a couple of the prompts or in my profile, I just was like, I'm gonna put it out there because I just wanna be bold and confident about it. I'm not ashamed of it. And some people might be like hesitant or confused about that, but I'd love to have a convo and open that door and kind of educate people if they're weird about it at first. But I've been, I'm usually on Bumble, Hinge, and Field, which I wanted to do a little plug for Field because it's such a sex-positive, non-judgmental space and people really touch on desires and pleasure, which I feel like your standardized mainstream apps don't really touch on that at all. And that's so important in relationships, you know, like that's how you grow closer to somebody. So I wrote a whole blurb on there. I've actually matched with people who either share that they have it and they're like, wow, that's so amazing to see someone be so open. They're like, I find that so attractive. And I was like, haha. And then on Hinge is where I do the most educating. And it's because my prompt is herpes isn't included in the full panel. And people are freaking out. But I'm like, now you know, what will you do with this information? But some of the people I was like, oh, there's promise here. Like, this is good. And then how they've reacted to me explaining that prompt, I'm seeing a whole other side of them, which... I honestly don't know if I wasn't so open about herpes or like if I didn't have herpes, when would I have seen that side? That kind of rude, someone said, oh, I like to pretend those things just don't exist. And like, I just don't want to talk about that. And I'm like, well, this is important to me. Sexual health should be important to you too. So I said, happy that I could educate, but I think I'm done with this convo. And I got the confidence to get out of that and I left, but I'm so glad I had, it's almost like a little radar machine because now I have herpes. It's like, I see someone's true intentions and how they handle something that might make them uncomfortable, but also something that they should just know about. But it's kind of gotten some people who I don't really think I even should have given space to in my life. It made them leave sooner than me wasting time. So we'll see what happens in person and how I go about disclosing and navigating that. But I do think I would want to bring it up pretty early, like especially before feelings are involved and all that stuff. But it's been a nice radar <laughs> for me in dating. But I'm talking more so online dating, but still. Yeah, no, I think that's, I love the way you're educating people on these platforms. And 
that, you know, that kind of brings me into what I wanted to talk about next. But it's really interesting that I think when you're doing this and you're opening up and educating people, it's crazy how you just realize how uneducated society is and how we really need to step up our game when it comes to sex education in our country. Kind of exactly like you said, when you receive those reactions and you're kind of just like, okay, well, I don't really love the way that you're reacting this way. And I think it goes to show the kind of person that they're going to be in a relationship. If they are going to react weird to you disclosing something that 80% of the population has, then how are they going to react when you get into an argument? Are they just going to walk away and give up? Are they going to get super angry at you and blame you? I think just if you're vulnerable with someone and they come back at you with disrespect, I think that goes, it does weed people out really quickly rather than getting in. And exactly like you said, I think I would totally agree with you telling someone early on about anything, that any sort of baggage that you have that you think will impact the relationship in some way. You know, it's not like you have to delve into your whole past on day one, but if you have things that are maybe difficult, may keep you from dating in a, a certain capacity or, you know, things might come up in a relationship, either sexually or mentally or whatever it is, I think it's important to tell that person and see how they react because it shows if that person's true colors and their character right off the bat. Yeah, and even with the the hinge prompt in my bumble one i i do this whole little joke in a way i'm like i'm a little cocktail a little type 1 diabetes a little splash of that and a little like dash of the hurt but i kind of make it into a joke and i have that on my my bumble and on hinge it's more of like i'm not saying i have it but i'm giving a stat with the testing so if anyone's oh i would never put it in my profile like totally fair i get it But there's still a way to educate and include it in a profile in some way, but share a stat without fully disclosing that you have it. So just a thought, I've I've been in a lot of these virtual support groups and I always talk about the online dating, which side note, I think if you're newly diagnosed with any STI, there's a lot of great virtual spaces so you don't feel so alone and you hear other stories and stuff so i got the idea of field from that virtual space so i think with with each group and kind of with each experiment in a way with disclosing you learn so much more so that's just my general experience on the online platform but we'll have to circle back post covid when i'm actually on dates and just throwing this stuff out left and right so yes i'm so excited to hear how your time online will transfer to your time in person. I think it's going to be a great experiment. But yeah, and and just delving more into, I love that you have these fun little prompts that you incorporate in the dating apps. Have you ever thought, or what are your thoughts on actually having the dating apps have a section for you to say if you have an STI or STD or diabetes or something like that? Yeah, I have a lot of thoughts. I know it's, I've actually put something on my, Instagram of like help me add an STI filter and had a whole explanation and and it's tricky too because I know there's a lot of people who have been in this space who have been battling the stigma and trying to educate but I feel like there's something else that we can do to normalize it in a way and I'm on the dating apps all the time and there's an app called positive singles which is just for people with an STI but sometimes it can feel even more this internal shame in a app where it's just people with an STI. You feel like anyone outside that space, you're not going to be loved, which is totally not true. So many people, so many positive people are with people who are negative and they're open about it and they're loved just the same. So I have, I've brainstormed, okay, I know some people might not be some people might not even be in a space to put their their diagnosis and their status in their profile like I am. I completely get that and I understand the background. But if there is some type of filter where you can turn it on if you feel like it, you can turn it off if you don't feel like explaining it. I mean, my gosh, they have like, what's your love language, you know? And I'm like, okay, yeah, that's important for dating, but 
Is it as important as anything related to sexual health? Hang on. I mean, people could be on there being huge racists, totally eliminating all these types of people, but no one's no one's gonna. I mentioned that in my outreach when I reached out to them. I was like, you can literally cut out multiple types of people based on their skin color, but you're not willing to. Maybe I scared them in my <laughs> in my plea, but I just think the whole point of having a filter would give the control. And maybe it's not having it be specific to like what is the STI you have, but maybe it's a badge or something that's like, I was tested for STIs during quarantine. Is there going to be a button coming up that's like, I'm vaccinated? Let's keep the parallel because people are so used to testing. What's your results? Let's tack in little buttons and filters that relate to sexual health since it's already the language is really similar and top of mind so or maybe it's something i've been really brainstorming on this if you can tell but maybe you put on the back end not what your particular sti is because i know people are like oh i don't want that info out there like i don't trust the privacy on these apps but maybe it's like a you just say i was tested i've been tested for stis and when you match with someone, if they also have clicked that, then maybe it brings it up as a, with your match, it's like, and you were both tested for STIs during the quarantine, like during pandemic. And then it brings, oh, maybe I'll talk about that, you know? So I don't know. I just think there's there's ways that it could help the stigma. I like see it, but I don't know the best way to get it out there. I just really hope that the apps start to think about it because they have such an audience. Grinder did that actually and they would have campaigns little pop-ups being like oh near you here's a testing site or treatment options and and then people could put if they're on prep and their most recent results and it just opened a door to acknowledge it and normalize it and made people feel like less alone i think when people see it more they'll be like wow this isn't just me gets everywhere and th that's okay it's normal so those are my those are my initial thoughts but there's there's got to be a way to do something I don't know if it'll be this year but I do feel like everything with COVID if I see a vaccination button I'm gonna send some emails because I really think it can be paralleled with I mean yeah tested for STIs during COVID like just just include that. I don't know. Yeah, I mean, I'm right there with you, man. If they, I'll, I'll be sending emails. We're writing, we're getting hundred signatures. I think, yeah, I think you're totally right. It's the same language. I think I love the idea of saying maybe it's something like including when your last STI panel, STD, STI panel was. When was it? And maybe linking, you know, including sex education pop-ups within the apps. I think that's super important because a lot of these apps are now or there are apps popping up that are all about sex or sexual desires like Field, Grinder. You know, there are a lot of these apps that are strictly more for finding a hookup. So if you don't then create a safety, safe environment around those apps, how can you then say, OK, well, when was your last COVID test went the same kind of stuff now I agree the parallel is kind of perfect timing for people to start including this start talking about it destigmatizing it so I, I I think it's a great idea thank you I'm glad you're on board I'm just like I want to keep talking about it and planting seeds because I know it it doesn't have to be some I got a little pushback too when I did share that but I do think there's a way yeah that it can help destigmatize subtly have pop-up ads to talk about sexual health parallel it with COVID and vaccinations and testing I, I don't know I'm gonna I'm gonna keep keep on it maybe it'll someday happen but I did find a another app called HUD where they you have to get an STI test through their system their whatever brand or company that they're doing the STI tests with but when you get your results you can link it to the app so it doesn't have to be like exactly what you have you know or like but it would show like I was tested through this I don't know if it says the exact date because I had gotten a, another virtual STI testing kit through Nurex just in case anyone wants to just get tested. It doesn't include the herpes test, as we know, but I just did that through 
quarantine, but if I did it through their system, it would then connect to my profile. But kind of cool. I mean, just like that thinking. It encourages people to get tested and then transition it to being on your dating profile and like showing you're prioritizing your sexual health. So yeah, prioritizing your sexual health is sexy. There we go. Well, this has been so fun. So I have a couple last questions that I ask everyone before we close out. So the first one is, how do you get excited for a date? It's been so long. (laughs) I don't even, I think I would, I'm going off of memory, but I I mean music. Recently, this, I, there's this classical pop. It's like, I mean, all instrumental, but it gets really intense. And so I could see me going on a date listening to that because that would make me feel all classy. A little towel wrap, doing my makeup, making it a process, and then probably sipping out of my 30-ounce glass. This is, I see myself in the future doing this exact thing, but that, I don't think I treated myself pre-date as much. I would like to treat myself more before going on a date prior, you know, you have pamper, pamper, so... Probably a segment of those three. Oh, I love that. The 32-ounce glass. It's amazing. Dangerous. (laughs) It's so dangerous, dangerous, but it's... I love it. And so I know you mentioned, you know, you kind of, you wanted to be more adventurous, or you want to be more adventurous with your dating and what you do on dates, but what do you think your ideal date would be? I don't know. I feel like... I've literally just, I used to live across from this really great whiskey place and I felt very cool ordering an old fashioned and like an appetizer. And I was like, oh, this is how I want to portray myself on this date. But I feel like post COVID, now I'm going into it being like, I would like people, I want to figure out the things that they prioritize earlier. I'd probably actually push for maybe more of an activity based on weather. I've never like, maybe actually just a walk. I feel like people are, I never went on a COVID little stroll and did a picnic or something, but I feel like something that's not, you're not worried about money. You're not worried about looking all snazzy or like, I don't know, a big bill. How are you going to split the bill? But just actually getting to know somebody and that might be probably a little bit better for me just to see someone's intentions and without how they're trying to have me think they are, if that makes sense. I want to see different sides of people. Maybe in the daylight, that would be probably a better start. Moving forward, a daylight date where you're not worried about splitting the check, you're not worried about makeup. I'd love to be more natural and kind of start off and then work our way up if things are good after. But just, I don't know, I think that might be a a different change of of pace. I never really prioritized an activity or being more natural with my like makeup and appearance. I feel like that would be a nice twist moving forward. I like that. Yeah, being natural, daytime date. I've had a lot of really fun daytime dates. So I think that, yeah, they can be very telling. And I think it's the perfect way to get to know someone without the added pressure of you're going back to my place, I'm going back to your place because And even if you are day drinking, I think it's just, oh, it's daytime. Yeah, you can get flirty, but there's less of that nighttime sexiness added to the mix and, you know, inhibitions and all that kind of stuff. So I think that's a good one. Yeah, we'll see if it happens. I'll I'll be, it's noted. I'll try and bring it. Second vaccine if I'm up for it. But you'll be the first to know. I'll voice note you. (laughs) I'm ready. Let's go for more stories. Well, this has been so wonderful, Taylor. Thank you so much for just providing all your knowledge on to me and whoever will be listening to this. I hope everyone listens to this episode. The whole world should listen to this episode. And then no more stigma. (laughs) Oh, dream. The dream. (laughs) One podcast episode at a time. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah. We got to plant seeds. Yeah. The more people that we talk about, the more it branches out. Quick side note, my little sister is in a dermatology office, which is actually, it's more of a skin condition with herpes. So like more people actually should just go to a dermo. But now that I have this account, she tells all of the newly diagnosed patients who are, the doctor tells them and leaves the room and they're petrified. And she actually is like, look, it's very common. Here's the stats. There's resources online. You're not alone. So it's like, because my little sister knows, she's now helping hundreds of people who are newly diagnosed. So it's like, yeah, talk about it and you don't know who it'll who it'll reach and help. So thanks for giving me a little platform and having me on so I can share all about the chronic stuff. Appreciate you. 
Of course. Yes, I love it so much. Well, this has been fabulous. I'm glad that we did this after International Women's Day, day after. Yeah, and I hope you have a great rest of your day. Thanks. You too, babe. Bye. <laughs> <laughs>